You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated. Good morning, 10 o'clock. Let's not waste any time. Let's go directly into God's perfect word because here there is life and there's joy and there's truth. With your copy of God's Word, would you go with me, please, to the 72nd Psalm, Psalm chapter 72, and we're going to continue in our series that we've been in the last few weeks called Christmas in the Psalms. We've been going back to this Old Testament book of joy and worship and finding the nativity narrative through this wonderful book in the Old Testament. It's not just a a song book of the Jews. It's an incredible picture and statement and, and prophetic word about a king who would come to save the people of God. Psalm chapter 72, beginning verse 1. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may may the righteous flourish and, and peace abound to the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea or a rule from sea to sea and from the river which is Euphrates to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba, the the kings of Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains, may it wave. May its fruits be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Then we see the not often seen double amen. Amen and amen. In case you didn't realize it was over, verse 20. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are now ended. I'm going to ask God why he put verse 20 in there at the end, because it sure seemed like it was over at verse 19. We read Psalm 72, and I hope you won't close your Bible. When we read this and we ask ourselves, now, what king is this? Whose prosperity is such, of such greatness? His fame will, verse 5, extend beyond the moon? This king will, verse 4, save the children and, and, and provide for the needy and crush the oppressor? Who really is this one in verse 17 whose name will endure forever and forever? Well, you see at the very beginning there of verse 72 that this is actually a prayer 
for a king, specifically for Solomon. It was prayed by David. We saw that in verse 20. Maybe that's why verse 20 is there. It is prayed by David, but he's praying for his son, the king to be Solomon. But all of these lasting accolades can't be about Solomon because at the end of Solomon's life, he moved away from God. There's no way 72 is, is, is about him. At the end of his life, God took the kingdom away from him. Certainly Psalm 72 is not about Solomon. Solomon really was a, a disappointment. He didn't rule forever. He didn't rule in righteousness. He wasn't praised from, from sea to sea. Now many kings would follow him in Israel and in Judah, 42 to be exact. And none of those kings ever lived up to this pure rule of righteousness and this pure justice that is written about here in Psalm 72. There's something similar about every Old Testament king. They always leave the people wanting. Wanting a a more pure king, a more just king, a more accessible king, a more perfect king. Anytime the Old Testament writes about a king, it's pointing to something bigger. It's pointing to someone better, someone greater, namely the Messiah, the king who is promised from heaven. Remember, Jesus is said, is characterized in Revelation chapter 19 as being the king over every other king, the Lord over every other Lord. Here's the first statement I want to make this morning before we dive deeper into Psalm 72. Here it is. It really is a statement about Christmas. No human is ever going to be able to answer humanity's greatest dilemmas. No human is ever going to be able to answer, to be the answer to humanity's deepest needs. This was the problem in in Israel. I would say it's often the problem in our own hearts as well. We're looking to people to solve something that only God can solve. Well, we look to others, will someone please help me with this great dilemma in my life? What is the great dilemma of life? I think it's simply this. What do I do with my sin? What do I do with my, my shame? What do I do with my past? That's probably the greatest dilemma of of humanity. Well, what is the greatest need of humanity? To be known and to be loved. And there's no other mere mortal that can answer that dilemma or meet that great need outside of Christ himself. So Psalm 72 is not a portrait of an earthly king because we read just then all of this is beyond human fulfillment. The Jews were longing for a perfect king. The Jews were longing for a righteous king. They did not find it in Solomon. They did not find it in David. Nor would they find it in the 40 following. And about every four years in November, we do the same thing here in America. And we never find a perfect, righteous leader. We didn't in Obama, nor Trump, nor Biden, nor the 43 before them. But take heart, sad Republicans and sad Democrats, because there is a king who does not disappoint. There is a king who is just. There is a king who is worthy. There is a king who rules in righteousness. In this passage this morning, I want us to see six things. You note takers, this will be nice and clean today. Six things that we can see about the true king, the true king who came at Christmas. Let's keep our Bibles open. Let's see what God's word says to us about this coming king who now, as New Testament believers, he has already come. Six things that are true about the king who came at Christmas. First thing is this, the true king is always just and always right. 
Verse one and verse two is, is longing for that in Psalm chapter 72. Again, this psalm can't solely be about Solomon. It can't simply be about Solomon because it was a hopeful prayer for him. But Solomon did not and could not fulfill Psalm chapter 72. Only Jesus perfectly carries out the cry of, or the request of, verse 1. Verse 1 was, give the king your justice, O God. Give the king your righteousness. Give that righteousness to the royal son. Only Jesus could fulfill that. Only Jesus perfectly carries out the justice of God. Only Jesus perfectly carries out the righteousness of God. Solomon could not do that. Solomon did not do that. Solomon worshipped the false gods that his wives worshipped. He unfairly taxed the people. He built idols, built temples to to idols. He killed his half-brother. He broke covenant by making alliances with godless pagan nations around him. Solomon did not rule righteously, but Jesus, the king of Christmas, only he is able to come and carry out the justice that belongs to to God, the righteousness that belongs to God. Only the true king can fulfill the hope of verse 2. That this true king will, will accurately judge God's people rightly. He'll bring justice to the poor who belong to God. So Jesus here is the righteous one. Jesus and only Jesus is, is not marred or, or tainted by sin. He was tempted, we, we read in Hebrews chapter 4, in every way, yet he is without sin. Only Jesus can fulfill the prayer and the hope of verse 1 and verse 2. What are the implications then of having Christ as a just judge? All the injustices that we see in our world today. And all the injustices for all of humanity for all time will one day be dealt with accurately and justly by King Jesus. What does that mean for us today? I think this church needs to push and pray for justice in our city. We are also given the promise that Jesus will bring permanent justice when he arrives at the second Christmas. Second thing about the true king, the true king sees the needy and the hurting. So first of all, we see that this king is, is just and he is right. He is perfect in all of his decisions. And it almost perhaps gives us this vision that that God must be inaccessible. That that king must be so far above us that he would never even long to know us. But look how this true king sees the needy, sees the hurting. Look at verse 4 with me, 72, 4. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. May he give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Look at verse 12 through verse 14. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak. He has pity on the needy. He saves the lives of the needy. For oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. We see the compassion now of this Messiah, this promised one that would come, this king that would come and and, and minister and care for those who are hungry and those who are marginalized and those who are disillusioned and those who are in poverty and those who have great need. In the world then and in the world now, it seems like mighty rulers are only looking after themselves. Those who are rich and powerful only want to have more power and more riches Those who have great influence just want more and more influence. So kings and political leaders today and in the Old Testament, and this is really true on every single continent, they regularly use their position just to gain more wealth, just to gain more power, just to gain more prestige. Do you know why Israel's kingdom split apart under the kingship of Solomon? 
this is in 1 Kings chapter 12, I think it's, it's verse 4, it says that, that, that Solomon put heavy yokes on the back of his people. Solomon put his people into hard service. Why? So that Solomon could have more and more things, more and more palaces, more and more power, more and more prestige, more and more money, more and more fame. Now look at the comparison between that kind of king who longed for more things and so enslaved his own people to give him more power. Compare that to the king who came at Christmas. Because it says eight times in the gospel that when Jesus saw those who were hurting and hungry, alone, he felt compassion for them. This is the king who came at Christmas. He has compassion on those who are needy. He has compassion on those who are hurting. He has compassion on those who are lonely. He has compassion on them. That word compassion in Greek is a really interesting word. It's the word splachnizomai. That just sounds like a Greek word all of us need to say together. So it's splach, like Dr. Spock, but with an L. So say splach, splach, and then you got two knees. So splach knees, and then like someone has startled you, and you say, oh my. So let's just say that word together. Splach knees, oh my. You are regular Greeks in this place. You know what it means? Once I tell you the meaning, you'll probably always remember the word splach knees, oh my. It means to have a movement, deep within your bowels. As odd as that may sound, we have the exact same expression today when we say it was a punch in the gut. When Jesus saw needy people, he felt it. When he saw hungry people, he felt it. When he saw those who were lonely, he saw children of of those who were hungry, he felt it. Solomon enslaved his people for more power and for bigger palaces. Jesus felt in his gut the loneliness and hunger of people in need around him. This is the king who, who has come who sees the hurting, he, he feels the, the, the weight of those who, who are in need. So if you're hurting today, just know this, Jesus feels that, and he sees you. If you're lonely today, just know that Jesus feels that, and he sees you. If you feel marginalized today, forgotten today, Jesus feels that, and he sees you. Many a king never sees a pauper. Many rich kings never see the poor. Many kings who are living in comfort never see those who are living in poverty. But not our King Jesus. He was drawn to the paupers. He spent time with the poor. Christmas shows that he lived among those who were in poverty. Solomon put a yoke of burden on his people. He placed great burdens on his people. But listen to what the King of Christmas has done. In fact, can I invite you? Close your eyes. If it's been a long semester, a long week, already a long weekend, a long morning, would you just close your eyes and just receive the purity of these words that come from our King? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy.
And my burden is light. He's not the king that came to press burdens on us. He's the gentle king who came with humility in his heart to care for those who are in need. Now, if your eyes are still closed, open them up. I still have more sermon to to preach. Here's the third thing. The true king tells us who we are. Let me me tell you this. You're going to have to dig a little bit deeper. We're going to have to dig a little bit deeper to to see this. But this king is going to change the outcome and change the status of those that he oversees. He's going to change the outcome and the status of those that he oversees. So let me just tell you again. The true king tells us who we really are. Verse 4. Let's give you a few examples here. Verse 4 talks about the poor. Those who are seemingly afflicted and and, and constantly downtrodden, what does it say about them in verse 4? They are actually defended by the king. So a person who may feel poor, may, may seem like they're poor, may seem like they're afflicted, the word of the Lord says actually they're being defended by this king. The same thing happens in verse 4. The children of the needy, those who are seemingly forever uh, uh, oppressed, they are delivered, verse 4, by this, by this king. Verse 12, those, those who are needy, they're seemingly forgotten. They always have great needs. Verse 12 calls them delivered because that's the king. The king says, this is who you are. Verse 13, the weak, always been taken advantage of, actually gain, was it saying verse 13? The king's pity. Verse 13, the needy are actually saved. That's who the king says that they are. Verse 14, the oppressed, those who have experienced violence. Verse 14, seemingly never seeing justice, the king calls them actually redeemed. The deeper meaning of this is that we are not who others say that we are. We are not what our circumstances say we are. We are not what our emotions say we are. We aren't even who we say we are. We are who the king says we are. Jennifer and I love the movie A Knight's Tale. It came out about 20 years ago. I'm showing my age. I like it because there's jousting in it. Uh, Jennifer likes it because Heath Ledger is in it. I know why she enjoys watching that, that movie. It's a story of, of a young, poor boy by the name of William. He grew up in poverty. Always longed to be more. Always longed to accomplish more. He desired to be known. And so he became an apprentice, apprentice for a knight, a, a knight of royal blood. And with that night, William learned how to joust. He would put on the, 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 the knight's armor at times and began to train almost as if he was a knight. Well, then that knight dies. And William puts on the knight's armor and pretends like he is a knight. He even has paperwork drawn up that gives him a new name that says that he was of, of royal birth. And so he was, he was jousting. He was competing as a knight until finally, as every good movie has in a moment of tension, people begin to realize he actually is not of royal birth. He actually was not a, a true knight. And so he was arrested and he was thrown in the gallows and he was, he, was, he was locked up publicly. So once he was praised as a great knight, but now he is jeered as, as just being someone who actually is a nobody. Until the prince, the son of the king, Edward in the movie, comes and sees William. He's always known who William was, always had an affection, a care for young William, comes and sees him in the stocks. And this is what he says to the crowd. I wrote it down. Release him. He may appear to be of humble origins, but I say he's of a royal lion. 
That is my word, and such it is beyond contestation. The king has spoken these words. See, at that point, it didn't matter what the crowd thought of William. It didn't even matter what William thought of William. The king had said, oh, you're royalty. My word declares it, and no one can contest that. Son of God, daughter of God, the king has looked at us, even in the shame of our past and our past failures, and says, do not let your past define you. Don't let your emotions say who you are. Don't let others say who you are. Don't even listen to your own heart because our hearts can be unbelievably deceitful. Listen to what the king says about you. God tells us who we are and the truest thing about you is what God says about you. Sister in Christ, the truest thing about you is that you're a daughter of God. That's the truest thing about you. Brother in Christ, the absolute truest thing about you is that you're a son of God. The true king tells us who we are. Here's the fourth thing. The true king refreshes our weary souls. You may have walked in here today weary. Look at verse six. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like like showers that water the earth. In the the days, may may the righteous just continue to, to flourish. May they continue to grow and may peace abound till the moon be no more. I mean, don't you feel the same thing as I do? Our world is so draining. Our culture is so taxing. Social media is a beat down. And life can be so exhausting that the phrase here in verse 6, moan grass, it implies a field that, that once was producing fruit, but it's no longer producing a crop. It is now barren. It's non-productive. It is dry. It is less than it was. It's been fleeced. Sometimes our lives just, just feel like that. We've given so much, but we've received so little. We, we pour out so much, but we're not being refilled. We're at the end of our ropes. Our, our souls feel dry. We feel like we've been spiritually fleeced. And here comes the king who comes just like the spring rain. He comes and he gives us times of refreshing. He comes and he restores the joy of his salvation over us. So if you're here today and you feel spiritually dry, run back to the endless well of Jesus' grace and love. If you're here today and you feel weary, it's time to hear again the fresh words that King Jesus says over your life. If you feel fleeced by life or fleeced by others, be reminded that Christ alone can bring a peace that, verse 7, abounds until the moon be no more. Fifthly, in this passage, the true king is worthy of our highest worship. Start at verse 8 with me again. May he have dominion. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river, speaking of Euphrates, to the ends of the earth. And may desert tribes bow down before him. His enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. We see the same in verse 15. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. We see some Christmas foreshadowing here, don't we? Of leaders coming from the east and bringing the king gifts, including gold, and bowing down before him. 
again, this sea to sea worship in this realm that verse 8 runs to the ends of the earth, that cannot be about Solomon. Solomon ruled just Israel, a nation about the size of New Jersey. But Jesus, King Jesus is an eternal king with an eternal kingdom that is not confined or bound or limited to a certain place or just to certain people. The kingdom of Christ is spread across the entire world, covering every tribe and race and color and language and people and nations. And the truth is, verse 11, all kings will bow down to Jesus. And the truth is, verse 11, all nations will serve Christ the king. Jesus alone is worthy of our highest worship. He's worthy of the entirety of the span of our days. Jesus is to be praised from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth. And we should worship him for this truth. Here's a thought of Christmas today. God would have been invisible and inaccessible to us unless the Christmas king stepped into our world. God would have been so inaccessible. He would have been invisible to us. We would not have known his plan for our lives, his plan for redemption, this gospel, this good news, unless the Christmas king would have put on flesh and stepped into the stream of humanity. He walked away from the halls of heaven and came to this dirty earth, even to the point that the prince of heaven would have nails driven through his wrist, that we might find God accessible, knowable, That is why this true king is worthy of our highest praise because otherwise we would not have known our creator. We worship a willing sacrifice born to introduce us to God and then make a way for us to be with him forever. Here's the sixth and last thing we see about the true king in this passage. The true king will be king forever. I mean, there's no other reason for us to realize this is not Solomon. Solomon's not still a king. He's no longer alive. He was actually a pretty disappointing king even during his days. But the true king will be the king forever. Verse 5, may they fear you while the sun endures. May they fear you as long as the moon throughout all generations. Uh, Look at verse 17 and 18 and 19. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. This name of Jesus will endure forever. He will split our calendar in two according to his birth. And his fame will be day after day after day. We are blessed in him. We are blessed through him because we are saved by him. Here's my last Christmas statement for the day. Any other king would need to save himself. But King Jesus is salvation Itself. Any other king would have to be saved. Any other king would be, would be born into sin. Any other king would, would be tempted yet would be with sin. There's no other king who could deliver salvation. Only King Jesus who is salvation itself. No other human was going to be able to answer humanity's greatest dilemmas or our deepest needs. But Jesus is God. Born of a virgin. Tempted yet without sin so that he alone can save us. So Christmas, we bless God for this king. We crown him the Lord 
of all. Verse 18, verse 19, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Would you stand with me, please, for us to pray together? God, we celebrate this week, Christmas. Yes, a baby has come, but greater than that, the king has come. The perfect king who would lay down his life for us. All other kings, all other presidents, all other dictators, all the Supreme Court justices, they could not do what this one king did. The one true king, and we crown him the king over our lives, the king over our salvation, the king over our nation, the king over all nations. Cry him the Lord, the true king of heaven, who rules with God's righteousness, who rules with God's justice, who sees the lonely and the hurting and the hungry and the needy and the marginalized. This is a king who has compassion. He feels our hurts. is a king who tells us who we are. No matter what we might feel like, no matter the opinion of others, no matter the emotions of the day or the circumstances of the present, King Jesus, you tell us who we are and in Christ, you tell us that we are your sons and your daughters. This high king of righteousness, we bless him today. Because we are blessed through him. All nations are blessed through King Jesus. He's our king. And there's joy in our hearts.